Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News, coming at you with another Velo News tech podcast. And the excitement lately is that there's the the hope that uh, by the fall uh, we'll be racing again. Uh, it's it's still kind of up in the air, but. Uh, the hope is that we'll see a Tour de France this year and we'll see all the other great races that we're so used to seeing. Uh, and so I wanted to get in touch with some folks that are pretty intimately connected with the racing scene uh, to talk a little bit about the tech that we're going to see and what we've seen in the past. So on the phone uh, all the way from Belgium is uh, Jürgen Landry, who is a team mechanic for Groupama FDJ. Um, Jürgen, how are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you for I'm joining. I'm pretty me. good. All good here in Belgium. Good. But we do miss the racing, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, we all do. My goodness. Um, Jurgen, thanks for taking some time to chat today. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, uh, back in 2017, I was at the Tour de France uh, ground depart in Dusseldorf and I uh, was, you know, sniffing around the BMC uh, vans. And Jurgen, you were there and you were working on the TT bikes for the opening time trial. And so I wrote a feature about you and sort of uh, talking about what it was like to be working on, on these bikes at such a crucial moment and, and some of the new technology and what you were doing. Uh, and so I wanted to follow up with you. It's now been three years since that article, but, uh, but also you've been uh, a mechanic for a very long time. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the drastic changes we've seen in um, in, in bicycle technology just in the last, even just the last five years, and how that sort of affected your job as a mechanic. Uh, and I know that you've taken sort of a new, uh, your, your role as a mechanic has also evolved uh, in, in recent years to, to be more of a, a fit and an R&D sort of position as well. So first, before we jump in, let's talk a little bit about your history as a mechanic. Can you just kind of give me a quick rundown of when you started as a mechanic and, and what you were doing? I know you came from the velodrome. Um, so just, can you talk about how you became a mechanic and, and how that your position evolved? Well, I was a professional cyclist and from, yeah, let's say I was a junior and I was always super interested in, in equipment. Uh, I was reading uh, magazines uh, those times and, and looking at details and oh, that was so super interesting. And uh, then I started to build bikes, wheels, whatever, uh, always working on my own bike. And I think there I got the feeling with uh, technology of, of bicycles. And uh, then I had a rather a short career as a pro cyclist, but Okay, that was an interesting period in my in my life. Um, but then, yeah, with some coincidence, I turned um, mechanic from uh, the national Belgian uh, track team. And uh, yeah, a lot of people, they say, yeah, on a track bike, that's not so much work. Uh, you don't have brakes, you don't have gears. <laughs> but uh, I would say it's, it's rather the opposite because there... And that helped me in my career as a, let's say, TT mechanic right now. Mm -hmm. It helped me to go to the fine tuning of a bike, because if you don't have too much that you can change, you have to do it like 100 yeah, percent yeah. to get the best bike, to get to get the best performance of a bike. Mm -hmm. And that helped me a lot in my career. Yeah. So, yeah. Just, to, just to, for perspective on the era in which you were working, what year or years was it that where you were working on the track as a mechanic? That must have been around uh, 2008, 2010. Okay, so we're talking about a decade ago, 
Uh, and yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So talk about, I mean, 2010 to now, I mean, boy, that's just in bike tech world and gear world. That's a, that's a lifetime away. Um, talk a little bit about, um, what's different from that life 10 years ago as a mechanic till now. I mean, in 2020, you know, here you are still working as a mechanic, but the, the bikes have come such a long way. Uh, how has your life and your responsibilities as a mechanic changed over the last decade? Well, it's for sure that it's not getting easier. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, it, things get more complicated and uh, we have more responsibilities as a mechanic. Before, it was about building bikes, washing bikes. But um, but that's a good thing that we have to go into details. We have to use computers. Uh, we have to calculate all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, that makes it more interesting. But of course, that yeah, there's more more pressure on us as a bike mechanic. Mm -hmm. And also, you have a lot of integrated things on a bike these days. So if you have a problem it can be night work yeah 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 i mean i at just having been at a lot of races i can tell you you know long after you know the journalists have written their stories and gone out for beers and had dinner you know the mechanics are still out there working and still you yeah. know tweaking bikes uh and you know and i wonder if you can tell me uh you know in the last i would say the last 5 years there's been, uh, you know, a sort of an evolution in road bikes where we saw uh, disc brakes hit the scene. And then shortly after that, you know, we're, now we're seeing more tubeless tire setups. Uh, and now, and, and as, again, just like you mentioned, more integration. We've got wireless uh, drivetrains. We've got, you know, electronic drivetrains. As a mechanic, what has been the biggest uh, difficulty? Like, what was the biggest adjustment you had to make of all those technologies? Was disc brakes sort of a, the biggest deal where you had to really refocus and say, okay, my role as a mechanic has changed and I have to learn this new skill? Or was there something else that uh, was more complicated? Well, if I talk, I would, yeah, road bikes and, and TT bikes, I would see them as a different, completely different bike. If I talk about road bikes, I would say, yeah, disc brakes, that's, um, that was a big step for us mm -hmm. because it's not only the, the brakes and it's, yeah, it's, it's new. That's for sure. Yeah. But you have to change everything. You have to change your truck. You have to change your car galleries. You have to change your bike stands. You have to change your stock of wheels. Mm -hmm. There's so much extra work. Yeah. What was it like? But, sorry to interrupt. Um, what was it like to have to adjust to, you know, things like wheel changes with, with disc brakes uh, on course? Well, there were all kinds of rumors uh, that it was not going to be possible to do a fast wheel change. But yeah, I mean, people, they, they adapt and they always look for solutions. Mm -hmm. I did a few wheel changes myself and you always hope that you don't have to do it a lot. But if you do it, it doesn't change mm -hmm. too much if you compare it with a normal wheel. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it was a big step for the mechanics too mm -hmm. because it was completely, 
completely new from a cable and some rubber blocks on a rim to oil and, and bleeding and whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I think, yeah, we are we are getting there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about uh, the riders reaction to things like disc brakes? I mean, we heard so much about riders who didn't want to ride disc brakes. Has that sentiment changed now? You know, with are your Groupama riders, have they embraced disc brakes and are pretty happy with it at this point? Um, we didn't want to push it too much with our La Piera bikes because, um, yeah, it's a big step, but they also realized there's no way back. One day they'll have to go to disc brake bikes, I believe. Mm-hmm. And what was very nice to hear, the feedback we got when they use the bikes in rainy conditions. Mm-hmm. There they love it. Yeah, yeah. They just love it there. The, the the brake performance is the same as in dry conditions. They feel more safe, and that's important. And maybe, okay, 2020, we didn't do so many races, but, man, maybe it's just my idea, but I had the idea there were less crashes. Mm-hmm. And it could be because I talk about the spring classics in Belgium, but I think there were less crashes and I think it was because of this crates. Mm-hmm. But the, we'll see the rest of the season if I'm right <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah, good. It's always uh, it's always a crapshoot, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on top of that, I mean, you know, the courses have also changed quite a bit. The you know even. Grand tours now are including sections of of dirt, and um, you know, there's a lot of the time trials. You know, we're seeing bike switches halfway through the time trial for climbing and things like that. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you, as a team of, of mechanics, I mean, it, and this might harken back to you know your days at BMC because that was sort of when these changes were happening. Um, mm-hmm. But how has that sort of changed how you adapt as a mechanic? I mean, the courses themselves. Uh, what what new equipment challenges came along with things like dirt sections on on uh, on stages or you know having to, to do a, a an uphill time trial um, was that a challenge or was that just another one of those things where you're like well, okay this is something we can adapt to and we already have the knowledge and equipment. Well, that's I think that's just a way of thinking in in, in the new cycling that. Uh, you prepare all the all the stages, and maybe a month before you already have an idea how what you're gonna do with equipment. Mm-hmm. So you have more time to prepare it. It's not that, for example, stage five in a Grand Tour, you have some gravel sections, and uh, then the evening before you have to change everything. Right. You already have an idea what's going to happen you already have an idea what gears you're going to use but of course it doesn't make it easy Mm -hmm. because you also you're limited with your equipment because there's some let's say you have a 53 chain ring that is compatible with the 39 and there's a guy asking for a 36 so you go out of the recommendations of shimano Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so then you have to yeah you have to do some special tricks to make it work and and that doesn't make it too easy right right 
What about tubeless tires? I mean, you know, with with stages that do go on rougher terrain and, uh, you know, the the studies that have all said, you know, tubeless tires are faster. Um, Have you found that, uh, you know, a lot of riders are embracing that now? I mean, we saw a few riders at last year's tour starting to use tubeless tires and and even in, in some of these early races this year. Uh, what about Groupama? Are you guys embracing tubeless? Are you still more on the tubular end of things? Well, the good thing is that we have a development team. Mm -hmm. And uh, those uh, young guys, they they test our equipment. So the the season of 2019, they were using uh, the Continental tubeless tires. So it's nice for us because we get the feedback and then we can integrate it into the World Tour team. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, it, I think it was November where we did some testing on the cobblestones uh, with Stefan Kuhn. Mm-hmm. Also, there we compared normal tires, I would say, uh, tubular tires, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, we compared them with uh, tubeless. Okay. And, of course, then you get some numbers, and I think numbers are really important these days. And then you can really you can compare the sensation that the rider has with the numbers and, and it was going the same way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you work, you work quite a bit with that, the development, uh, end of things and the research end of things. Now, uh, your career has sort of evolved into that. And I know a few years ago with BMC, you were doing a lot of work with time trial body positioning, uh, mm-hmm. and, and sort of, uh, understanding that, you know, lower wasn't necessarily faster, but, you know, sort of reducing the frontal area of the riders was, was more important. Um, has that trend, uh, in development, I mean, that was going back years ago now. I mean, what, what have you learned working with those development riders, you know, specifically about time trial positioning or more broadly about, uh, some of the ways that you're, you're finding ways to go faster, even though the bikes have just been so fast, you know, we're talking about tiny, tiny changes, uh, to go just, you know, a, a second faster, um, What's what's been some of the the developments recently uh, with working with the development team uh, on body positioning that has come become one of the the practices the standard practices for Groupama? I would say uh, I would call it stability. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do, for example, you can do some testing in a wind tunnel on a track. You have a lot of uh, possibilities these days to do some testing, but. You only get maybe um, a test from one to two minutes, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. I would call it a run. And that's not too long. Yeah. But then you have to see, okay, what's the goal of that specific um, bike rider? Mm -hmm. Does he want to be good? Does he want to be good in um, a prologue? Mm -hmm. Does he want to be good in world championships where you have to do... 40 kilometer plus and you can find a position that is fast on a two minutes run Mm -hmm. for example yeah but then you have to see is he is his stability good enough to keep that position Mm -hmm. the time that he wants to to set his goal Mm -hmm. and i think that's something new that we have to work on that it's not only about going to the wind tunnel and find a position because you can sit in a wind tunnel and you don't move your legs. Yeah. 
put in a race. That's for sure. You have to move your legs. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you have to, you have to see it in, yeah, how how the real feeling is, how the real movement is, and that's something that you have to you have to be very careful with that. Mm-hmm. And stability is super important. Now, when you say stability, I mean, does that come down to the rider being able to hold their core muscles? And I mean, when you find the position, for example, let's say you're working with rider A in the wind tunnel and you find that, you know, here is your fastest position, but your, your, your body is not built to support you in that position. From there, does it become a, a training and, and, and conditioning uh, pursuit? I mean, do, do you work with the riders to say, okay, you need to strengthen your core so that you can hold your body up? Or do you just accommodate with the equipment and say, okay, you can't hold that position, so we're going to accommodate your position even though it's slightly slower this way? I think you have to see it from both sides. You can, if you have a position that's really fast, but the rider can't hold it, mm-hmm. You have to look with your colleagues in our team. You have to see with the therapists, with the the trainers, what's possible to to get them better and to hold their position. Mm-hmm. And you, of course, if they can't hold it, then you have to adapt the position. Right. Yeah. If they can't hold the position, it's not really faster, is it? <laughs> yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. If yeah. they start to move their upper body, yeah, then yeah. then you win some. Uh, important seconds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I know you work a lot with time trial positioning and bikes and things like that, but you also do you also still work with more of the the, the broader uh, road bike category or are you more specifically now on the time trial end? It's a little bit more specific um, with uh, time trial bikes, but that's a good thing about working with uh, Groupama FDG. Mm-hmm that uh, little by little I'm more involved in development of the road bikes too. So because, yeah, you feel like on an island. Mm -hmm. If you're only doing time trial bikes, and it's also nice to be involved with road bikes too. Yeah. Because my passion is there too, and I don't want to lose it too much. Sure, sure. What what have you learned that translates from the time trial end to the road bike end? I mean, you, you work a lot with positioning, uh, and you work a lot with the equipment to accommodate that. Do any of those uh, those things that you've learned on the time trial bike translate over to positioning on the road bike side as well? Yeah, yeah, that's important. If you um, at BMC, we did it with a few riders. Mm-hmm. I believe it was with Rowan Dennis from his time trial bike and um, copying that position to his road bike. And then we did the opposite with uh, Greg van Avermaet from copying his position from his road bike to his time trial bike mm-hmm. because the angles and everything that was too different. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got some good results with it. Yeah. I'm curious, how do you how do you do that? I mean, I know having having been around a lot of the the, the areas where you guys work during stages and things like that, um, you know, that you have all sorts of jigs that you can set the bike up on to to copy measurements. Uh, but before that, before you even get to a race, um, what kind of, of equipment is involved in copying, for example, Greg Van Avermaet's position from the road bike to the TT bike? 
Well, you have to you have to work with uh, the modern technology um, or retool or the uh, Shimano bike uh, bike fitting dot uh, com uh, mm-hmm. equipment. Mm-hmm. That helps you a lot to copy that position. If you don't have that, it's almost impossible. Yeah, we can copy a bike. We have some jigs with for that. That's easy to do. Mm-hmm. But if you can't uh, read the angles of the body, it's almost impossible to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's why at Groupam FDG, we use the uh, bikefitting.com uh, tools. Sure. And that helps. That's, that's a great tool. What would you have done 10 years ago before these tools existed? I mean, you say it was impossible to copy that position, but I'm sure <laughs> you, had to, you had to figure out ways to make well, it close. Yeah, I don't want to think about it too much, how we did it. <laughs> but there's always um, mechanics are inventive, and, and, and they always find a solution to to copy a position. Uh, yeah. yeah, even if it was with uh, plump or something. Yeah. Um, we always found something, but uh, yeah, I'm happy that we have the jigs now that we are using because it's it's so much easier. And it's, yeah. all, it's also nice when you get some feedback from a rider uh, when he's taking another bike and and tells you oh my bike it feels exactly the same mm-hmm. and th- that's how it has to be yeah yeah i'm i'm curious you know among the the many changes that have happened over the last decade of your career uh power meters on bicycles and racing has has become a driver of uh change in the way teams race uh, I'm curious what your involvement with power meters is and how that informs uh, the decisions you make about what equipment a rider will use uh, in a certain stage and even specifically in a time trial. Has has the power meter changed your job specifically over the years as it's become a more important part of racing? For the testing we do, it's it's super important, but to make some decisions and races i would rather say that's that's more the trainer his his uh, responsibility mm-hmm. um we can in a time trial we can we can say we can recommend to, to use other wheels for example because before we've seen numbers that we measured with the power meter we can give the recommendations to use different equipment mm-hmm. But it's let's say that trainer and and mechanic or performance mechanic really have to work together to to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, like you just said, you you work pretty closely with you know the uh, the coaches and the trainers. Uh, but as you know, years and years ago, before power meters were really a factor, would you have even had any involvement in that, or would that have just been the? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And that's the good thing. Before everybody has had this responsibility, mm-hmm. you were maybe a soigneur, you were a mechanic, sports director. Mm-hmm. But these days, people really work together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that helps us a lot. Yeah. Because you have to work as a group. And as I mentioned before, for example, you want to change a position on a, on a rider. But the trainer, he can help you to think how far he can go with his, yeah, like core stability and other things, mm-hmm. how far he can go. And that's, that's more like that's teamwork is super important. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought up wheels because I have questions about wheels. Um, now I know, you know, time trial, it's still very important to have a very deep section wheel, uh, for aerodynamics, but the, the wheel ch- selection, uh, for other stages on the road bike specifically, um, the, the wheels have changed quite a lot in the last few years. Uh, and you know, it used to be that if it was a mountain stage, you obviously used low profile climbing wheels. And if it was Mm -hmm. a flatter stage, you use deeper section wheels. But now we're finding, uh, we've done some testing here at VeloNews that says for the majority of riders, it makes sense to actually use a deeper wheel, even on climbing stages, until it gets to a certain uh, pitch. Uh, Have you guys found that to be the case? And are your pure climbers, are they still sticking with things like uh, low profile wheels? Or have you moved to a deeper section wheel? I think slowly, slowly they are changing their idea. Um, before, as you, as you mentioned, they thought the low, low-profile rim must be lighter, must be f- faster, maybe easier to handle. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it is. And if you can convince a rider with numbers, really show them like, okay, we did some testing, and that's what it shows. Right can convince convince them to make a change in wheel choice mm-hmm. and of course if they have a good result then then it's uh, another proof that uh, that we were right yeah so it's a pretty data driven profession that you're in now <laughs> you know? yeah but it's nice that's the nice nice thing about uh, cycling right now that uh, yeah the way of thinking is is different mm-hmm. you you go into data you you do some research you find so much stuff on the internet you have a lot of interesting people around you uh, people work together and that's how we move forward mm-hmm. Jurgen, uh, when I spoke with you in, in 2017 at the tour, uh, we talked a little bit about your toolbox and, you know, you, you had a, a blue park tool, uh, toolbox and it was filled with pretty standard stuff. I mean, there was nothing too crazy in there. Uh, you know, you, and you had made a point to say, you know, you have to really simplify and keep your toolbox light cause you're lugging the thing around for three and a half weeks, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but I'm curious, uh, just since we spoke in 2017, uh, have you had to, uh, sort of rethink your toolbox? Uh, is there any other equipment in there now that wasn't there three years ago? Right now I have three toolboxes. <laughs> <laughs> I changed from one to three yeah. and, um, because you have, yeah, it's always nice to have everything that you couldn't need with you. Mm-hmm. I have one, one work case that I use like standard mm-hmm. but then i have one with some extra very specific tools uh-huh. and then i have another toolbox where i keep my stuff for to adjust cleats and other other stuff mm-hmm. so it's it's good to have everything with you that you don't have to tell a rider oh yeah maybe next week i can do it because i don't have the correct tool right right they don't like that answer too much. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you now have, you've gone from one toolbox to three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, do, yeah. You, do you carry all three with you? In a, for example, in a grand tour, would you have to carry all three with you the entire time? 
well, we do have a, lo a lot of uh, space in the truck and you, we, we have our corner at the back of the truck where we can keep our extra stuff. So, yeah, the other mechanics, they don't complain too much sure. about extra stuff. Yeah. I'm curious. And they're happy. They're happy too when you, when they need something and you can, you can take it out of your uh, second or third toolbox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious if any of those toolboxes have a computer in it or a tablet. Uh, I mean, you deal so much with electronic shifting uh, and, and things like that. I mean, do you have to do you have to be computerized while you're at a Grand Tour? Well, I always keep my computer with me. But uh, the good thing about Shimano is that we can uh, use our uh, smartphone to uh, go into the uh, eTube and that uh, saves us a, a computer. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but anyway, I think most of the people, they carry a computer with them. But um, yeah, most of the time it's not really necessary. A smartphone is, is more than enough these days. Sure. Do you have to keep track of, of every rider's preferences for their electronic shifting and, and things like that? I mean, do you keep track of that or do you just uh, go on their recommendation for what they want? <laughs> Not yet, but I think that's going to start soon. Mm -hmm. okay. That's going to start soon, uh, especially um, when we go to the new time trial bikes where we use some synchronized shifting mm -hmm. there probably. We have to use an individual setting for each rider. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's how it is. It has this, I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go. I was going to say, has the synchronized shifting uh been something that you found riders really have embraced and and when did that kind of start being a thing that they wanted to use i don't know too many riders who use it but i think it's also a big step for the riders where they they want to control everything and all of a sudden when things start to shift uh, automatically mm -hmm. they don't like it too much yeah but I love the idea of uh, synchronized shifting. Yeah, and do you think and that? Do you think that's something that they could be convinced of again with data and say, you know, you you use the synchronized shifting and it actually saved you, you know, x amount of watts or seconds over the course of uh, a course? Well, it's a little bit different. Um, we didn't use it because. On the road bike, they can shift however they want. Mm -hmm. On our new time trial bikes with disc brakes, they have no other option. Yeah, you only have the one button on 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 the shifter, so you have to use the synchronized shifting. Right, right. And then they accept it, but then they ask you like, okay, is there something individual that we can do? Mm -hmm. And then you really start to use the synchronized shifting, how you have to use it. Mm -hmm. While we're talking about shifting and, and drivetrains, uh, do you, uh, does the, the Groupama, does the team use a special uh, tra chain treatment uh, instead of lube, for example, on a TT bike? Uh, I know a lot of teams use things like the ceramic speed UFO treatment, um, things like that. Do you use something specific for your bikes? Um, no, we work with Morgan Blue, but mm -hmm. the good thing is that uh, they work with us mm -hmm. to do some testing. Um, 
They also have a training center with uh, that's that's led by uh, Fred Grapp, mm-hmm. and he's doing some testing where they where they do some yeah different things with chains, mm-hmm. and um, then we talk to Morgan Blue. They give us some samples, and and yeah, that's how you get a very good uh, product. Mm-hmm. Uh, early in your career, would you have just grabbed whatever chain lube was close by <laughs> or was it still, even at that point, was, was that research being done to, to find the fastest chain lubes or pulley wheels, things like that? Well, I think when I was working with BMC, maybe we were lucky, but a lot of times we won a race time trial by one or two seconds mm-hmm. and, um, then you're happy that you tried everything. Yeah. <laughs> then maybe yet you used um, a loop that was not really sponsored. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you went a little bit out of your... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it could, have, it could have made that one second difference. And then you were happy that you did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that you won a lot, but at least you could say, okay, we did everything that we could have done. Right. And it's that adaptability that, you know, sort of, that's what makes a good mechanic. I would think is somebody who can adapt to the moment, uh, and make those changes when they're, they're necessary and, and sort of experiment. Uh, yeah. And you know, when I, when I talked to you at the tour in Dusseldorf, uh, you know, you had said that that was such a key part of the job now, uh, learning and, and, and adapting to all the new technology that was coming out very quickly. And that was the part that really excited you. So it seems to me like it's a logical step that you should be involved with that research and development team. <laughs> it seems more like, and more. Yeah. 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 Uh, the other thing that you told me and and when we spoke, you know, it was the day before the first stage the first stage time trial in Dusseldorf. And just as I finished talking to you, it, it had started to rain a little bit and you and your team were out there, you know, finishing up working on the TT bikes. And you told me that, you know, I asked you, I said, you know, Jurgen, what's, what's your favorite part of the job and what's your least favorite part of the job? And your answer was, I like every part of the job. It's my life. Um, is that, does that still hold true? Do you still, I mean, is it, is there at this point in your career, parts of it where you're like, man, I can't wait for this to, to retire from this. Or do you still really embrace the job and love it? Um, and you know, yeah, I, what's absolutely. changed? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, it's a passion and, uh, I don't see it really. It's not really my job. It's my passion. Mm-hmm. And if people around you, they believe in you, that makes it so much easier and so much more yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it's great when, when people, they believe in you, when there's a riding a rider asking you for specific things. I really like that. And that mm-hmm. makes my, my, my life as a mechanic so much easier to do some extra hours or, or, or to do some extra work whenever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the best part of your job and the worst part of it? It all depends. Um, you you can do sometimes a lot of work, but you don't get a result. Mm. Then maybe you can be disappointed, mm-hmm. but that's not a reason to be disappointed. That's 
that's a reason to to even work harder or to do some things different. Yeah, yeah. What? So yeah, to say is there something not yeah that I don't like about the job? Paul, well, maybe it's getting a little bit more difficult to be away from home. Yeah. Is that but a f- at the other hand? Yeah, I get some more chances also from the team to do some work at home. Mm-hmm. So. There's always a solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How many days do you usually spend on the road a year? I mean, in a typical season, not so much this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that will be around 120 days on the road. Wow, wow. And that's, but that's, is that mostly in Europe? But I know you, I'm sure you go to all the races like in Australia yeah. and, and the Middle East and things like that. Uh, no, mostly it's in uh, in Europe. Okay. Because I do most of the time trials, and then I just go from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And and you uh, are you at the Grand Tours through the whole thing, or do you do you just come in for the time trials? Just for the time trials. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, that's. I think you need that in a team. You need one guy that's that's doing the time trial bikes, and that he can travel with the bikes. You have more space in the truck. You don't have to travel around uh, for three weeks with some, yeah, some 10, 12 or more time trial bikes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's also good that somebody takes that responsibility to say, okay, that's my part of the job. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it's maybe a time mm-hmm. for my colleagues not to relax, mm-hmm. but to say, okay, we're going to do what we have to do, just help a little bit. But they can we can take some pressure away from them. Mm-hmm. Jurgen, thanks thanks so much for joining me today and, and talking a little bit about your life as a mechanic. It's uh, it's pretty incredible to me to hear from people who are on the ground using all these new products that I, I you know I get to test them and say oh they're great or they're not so great. But you actually have to put them to use, and I think that's a a pretty incredible talent to be able to adapt to that uh, and and make the best decisions for your riders. So thanks for for sharing your insight today. You're very welcome. And for anybody listening, uh, if you have questions about this episode of the Tech Podcast or any of the other Velo News podcasts in the uh, the Velo News atmosphere, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you can get me on social media at Brown Tide Dan. Uh, you can also email me dcavallari at velonews.com. And thank you all for listening today. And Jurgen, thanks again for joining me. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.